My name is Fred. I uh, get to be the lead pastor here, and I am very excited uh, to be here today. Thank you. Thank you for being here. If you'll look around, you'll see everyone else who didn't go on vacation this weekend. Um, so uh, it's great uh, to have y'all here. I do want to uh, let y'all know about something last week Matt mentioned uh, some journals that we have purchased for the book of Mark uh, as we go through it. They are, there's some on the back table there, and then there's some on, out in the welcome lobby, so feel free to grab one of those. If you want to know what it is, it is the, the book of Mark that we're going through, and it's the, divided throughout the journal, and so the scriptures will be on one page, and then there's a blank piece of paper on the other page that you can take notes as you read and pray and meditate through it on your own during the week. So, so feel free to grab one and take them. Uh, like I said, they're our gift to you. Now, today, um, I have been praying something very specific for us. Whether you're here or whether you're watching online, I hope that this happens. I hope and pray that you have this moment, that you have uh, this experience, you have this revelation, you have this acknowledgement of, of God's voice today, um, whether it is big or whether it is small, I pray that that happens. And I pray, this is what I've been praying, is that your answer will be yes to whatever it is that God speaks to you. And so with that, I'm going to pray and when I'm finished praying, I want you to open uh, to Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 35, because that's where we're going to be. Jesus, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us today and that our answer would be yes, and that you would do what you do and speak directly uh, to each one of us. Speak specifically what we need to hear, whether it's encouragement, whether it's conviction, whether it's guidance, whether it's direction, that you would do that, and we would respond with yes to you. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. All right, Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 35 is where we are going to be today as we work our way through the book of Mark. Now, here's the deal. As you're turning there, I'm going to make some statements, and I want you to tell me if you can see the difference. Here's the first one. I know about Lady Gaga. All right? That's the first statement. I know about Lady Gaga. Anybody else? Have you heard the name Lady Gaga? Right? All right. All right. How about this one? I know Lady Gaga. Like, do you see the difference in those two things, right? Many of us know something about Lady Gaga, even if it's just her name, right, for being famous. But the second one implies something different. The second one implies something a little bit deeper. Not just that I know about Lady Gaga, but that I know her. Now, what if I told you um, Stacy and I don't just know her, but when we were in Ireland last, see, in the middle of, when was that, a year ago? Pandemic time? Seems like longer than that. What if I told you we were staying at this, this kind of small hotel, uh, kind of back in Ireland somewhere, and there was this woman sitting at a table by herself. We struck up a conversation with her because she was sitting at the table right next to us, and we found out through our conversation that it was Lady Gaga. What if I told you that celebrities often do this? They pick 
kind of these outskirts places. They disguise themselves. They don't wear any of the stuff that you see them in um, so that they can actually have a little time away. And what if I told you that a few weeks ago, uh, Lady Gaga, Stephanie is her real name, what if I told you Stephanie was in Asheville because Stacy and I talked about it so much that she wanted to come here and experience it herself, and so she snuck here. And so when she was here, she invited Stacy and I over for dinner. Now, what if I told you this, that Stephanie wanted to have dinner with Stacy and myself? What would that imply? See, it would imply not only that we know Lady Gaga, but that she knows us, right? And she wanted to spend time with us. It would imply that we have a friendship with Lady Gaga. By the way, we don't. I googled what her first name is. I've never met her in my life. All right? But did I have you for a second? Like maybe a little bit? Okay, good, 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 good. Oh, we don't. But, but truly, though, celebrities do that. They do, they do mask their identity and go on vacation and try and look as normal as possible, which I think is great, All right? But, but you get the point here, right? There's, there's, there is this powerful difference between these two words, right? There is a powerful difference between the word no and the word with, Right? Did you feel the difference between I know Lady Gaga and Lady Gaga wanted to be with Stacy and I over dinner? Like, that's a huge difference. When someone invites you to be with them, it says a lot about the relationship, doesn't it? Has someone ever invited you to sit at the lunch table with them? Right, Whether it's the first day at work or first day at a new school, you don't know uh, anybody, and then somebody invites you over to sit with them. It means a lot, doesn't it? It means a lot when, when, when somebody's here for the first time and somebody invites them to sit with them, right? Like being with someone and being invited to be with someone means a lot. Y'all, that's what we're going to see today. We're going to see the power in the challenges, right, of being with Jesus. Now, last week, Matt talked about how, <coughs> excuse me, so I had a cold last week, and I still have this cough, COVID negative, but man, you go to the grocery store and cough, it is like Moses parting the Red Sea. <laughs> and it, like people spread out. Um, uh, but listen, Matt last week talked about how we can't reduce Jesus uh, to something to be bought or sold right, that he can't uh, be a commodity, like you'll never see Jesus on the stock market ticker board, right? Like it's not something, he's not something to be bought or sold. And, and he talked too about how G, we can't redu- reduce Jesus uh, to competition. There's nothing we can do to create a level playing field with Jesus. He is always different from us, right? Well, what we're going to see, because Matt touched on it yesterday, is a better way than reducing Jesus to a commodity or or, or reducing him to competition, that a better way to live is to engage with Jesus on mission. And last week, Matt said, I'm going to talk more about that this week. And I am. That's exactly what we're going to talk about because Mark, the author of this letter that we're going through, is going to give us a little bit more about what it means to be on Jesus with, to be on mission with Jesus. And so so with that, let's look at chapter 3, verse 13, uh, and it says this. It says, and he went up on a mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came with him. And he appointed 12 
whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Now see, there's that word with, right? Uh, if, if you write in your Bibles, if you mark in your Bibles, then underline and circle that word with, because I think this word with is central to this whole passage. And I think with is central to the whole idea of being on mission with Jesus. And if you're wondering what being on mission with Jesus means, it's very simple. It means whatever Jesus is up to, we are up to the same thing. Whatever Jesus is doing, we do the same thing. That's being on mission with Jesus. And I think this word with is central to understanding that. Uh, and, and here's why. Like, here's what we've seen in Mark so far. We've seen Jesus minister to the crowds often. And, you know, Mark is so good about capturing this that everywhere Jesus went, there was a crowd. Right? Even if he went into a home, there was a crowd gathered around the home, and Jesus was ministering to him. Right, and, and the crowd sought him out. Wherever they heard Jesus was, the crowds would rush there because, which that's kind of what Matt talked about last week, the crowds wanted something from him. Right? They wanted to be healed. They wanted to be ministered to. They wanted uh, the, the juice that Jesus was selling. But there were some who, who wanted more than that. They wanted to follow Jesus, and they wanted to go with him. And so what Jesus is doing now is he's taking a break from the crowd, and he's, he's, he's going to pull some specific people to be with him. And, and what Jesus is going to do is he's taking this relationship deeper, right? He's taking it deeper, and here we see something that we need to understand about being on mission with Jesus. Being on mission with Jesus starts with Jesus. Now, this may sound like simple, right? Like Christianity 101 stuff, but I'm telling you, this first step can be so overlooked in being on mission with Jesus. And it may seem obvious, but it's something that we understand that, that the mission that Jesus gives his disciples Right is this theme that's carried through the gospel. God is always asking his people to be with him so that they can do what he does. See, here Jesus is telling them, I'm going to have you go preach and I'm going to have you go cast out demons. And for them, this is finally like, like if you're a sports person, if you're a football person and you've ever been that person that says, Coach, put me in, put me in, put me in, this is their time, Right? They're being pulled off the bench and being told, okay, now's your time, go. But this idea of being on mission is something that we're going to see Jesus do often. He's going to tell his disciples to go out and heal the sick. He's going to tell them to go preach and, and talk about the kingdom and share the good news of Jesus. And then finally, in Matthew 28, he's going to give them something that we know is the Great Commission, where it's not just to his disciples, but it's to everyone who was, who was listening to him, Right? It's not just these 12 that we're going to see here in, in a little bit. Let me ask you, have you ever heard the term the Great Commission? I'm curious. Yeah, there's a bar in a study that says only 40% of Christians have heard that term, which is shocking to me. And not only that, out of that 40%, there's even a less percent that even know where that is. They may have heard the term, but they don't know where it is. Now, think about, those of you who have heard the Great Commission, and we're going to go there in just a minute, but, but think about, if you've heard the Great Commission, don't say this out loud, but I want you to think to yourself, 
What is the first word of the Great Commission? Go. That's right. I said don't say it out loud, but that's okay. You actually proved my point. You actually proved my point. Because how many else of you thought the word go? Or depending on what translation you thought, therefore go, right? Like, like it depends on which one you had. But see, that proves my point. See, there's actually been this great omission to the Great Commission. Because the Great Commission doesn't start with the word go. Turn in Matthew 28, all right? Matthew 28, just a couple of pages uh, to, the, to the left. Now, most people will say the Great Commission starts in verse 19 of Matthew 28. But for those of you where Jesus talks in red, right? Where does the red word start? Uh-huh, verse 18, right? Matthew 28, verse 18 says, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You see, the Great Commission doesn't start with the word go. It starts with the word all. The Great Commission doesn't start with the commission. It starts with a declaration about Jesus and a declaration that he has about himself and what Jesus is saying as he's pulling his disciples together. And, and, and it's his final, you know, he's already, he's already been crucified, he's already been resurrected, and this is kind of his final marching orders to the church. And, and he starts off and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And I call this the kind of the I got you verse, right? Like, like no matter where you're going to be, no matter who you're going to be with, no matter, no matter where your path leads, Jesus is saying, I have authority over that, Right? We're going to see, as, as you read through the New Testament, you're going to see his disciples are thrown into jail for following him. Jesus has authority over that. You're going to see them be imprisoned on islands. You're going to see them be bitten by snakes. You're going to see them, see them uh, suffer martyrdom. Jesus has authority over that. Everything that happens in heaven and on earth, Jesus is saying, I have authority over that. And so this idea of being on mission with Jesus, starting with Jesus, is seen right here in the greatest of commissions. Jesus is saying, first you have to understand something. I'm everywhere. And then, and then not only is he everywhere, he's, he's over everything. And then at the end of the Great Commission, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So you got evangelism, you got discipleship, you got sharing the good news of Jesus with people, and you got helping them understand that. And he says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. So not only does it start with Jesus saying, I have all authority, you can trust me, we can do this together. It ends with him saying, and I am with you always to the very end of the age. So it's not only no matter wherever you go, not only whoever you talk to at the beginning, Jesus has authority of. At the end of the Great Commission, he says, I'm going to be with you wherever you go, whenever you go. I am there. You see, the Great Commission is all about being with Jesus. You see, being on mission with Jesus 
can sometimes leave Jesus out of it if we just start with go. But when we start with all authority and heaven and earth has been given to Jesus, we ask the question, Jesus, what are you doing? And I want to be a part of that. And then we go. And this idea is, is, is riddled throughout the scriptures. Paul, later on in the New Testament, when he, when he writes the book of Galatians and he talks about the fruit of the Spirit and he talks about all these beautiful things, he says, he says our job is to keep in step with the Spirit, is what he says. And the image here is, is like we're all in this, in this army together and we're doing drills and, and at the same time our, all of our, our right feet lift at the same time. We take a step and our left feet lift and we take a step and it's a, like this marching in order. And that's what Paul says, you do that with God. Wherever he goes, you go. Even, even throughout the Old Testament when the nation of Israel wandered through the wilderness, they followed a, a pillar of smoke by day, and, and, and I mean, a, a cloud of smoke by day, a pillar of fire by night. Wherever God went, they went. In the book of Judges, when people didn't do what God asked them to do, it says they did what was right in their own eyes. They weren't following God, right? And this whole idea of being on mission with God is echoed throughout the Bible. Sometimes it is whispered and sometimes it is shouted. But what is always said, right, is to keep being with God. Where God is, you go. Where God is working, you work. And as a church, we try and reflect this in our values, in our value triangle that we, that we throw up here every once in a while. The very top of it is the idea of being with God. Jesus is something that we value, right? Now, why is that at the top? Because we believe everything else flows from that, right? Our, our desire to be in God's Word flows from being with Jesus. Our motivation and love for others comes from, guess what? Being with Jesus. Sometimes people ask me, and I love this question, they say, Fred, what is the vision of the church? You know, like, what's your mission statement? And I'll say, well, our mission statement is we are disciples, disciple-making disciples. That's what we are. We're disciple-making disciples. At least we try to be. We're certainly not perfect, but that's our mission because we believe that's what God is about, and we reference the Great Commission. They're like, yeah, 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 but how do we get there? Like, what's the vision? You know, what, 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 what hills are we trying to, to conquer, right? It's a great question. But I'm telling you, there's no greater hill to conquer than that one, being with Jesus. That's our vision, is being with Jesus, because there, there, no matter who you are, no matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, no matter what, what your personality is, no matter what your learning style is, no matter, no matter how, you're, how God has beautifully and wonderfully made you, no matter what your brokenness is, right? There we all get to be with Jesus. And whatever assignment we get from him is the mission of the church. Now back to Mark, if you turn back to Mark, their task of preaching and casting out demons flowed from Jesus 
inviting them to be with him. Now, something we're going to talk about next week, this is kind of what we're going to see is that this is kind of the second time Jesus has said, y'all come with me. Right? The first one he said to them individually, right? He said to them when they were fishing. He said to them when they were in a, a tax booth. He said, come, follow me. And now he's going to say, y'all, come with me again. Y'all, in our spiritual life, this happens. Jesus says, come with me and, and walk with me. And, and that is salvation. But the process of sanctification, the process of continuing, continuing with Jesus is allowing him to still say, no, come with me deeper now. Come with me a little deeper, because here's, here's what he does. Look at verse 16. It says, he appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, who he gave the name, I don't even know how to pronounce that. Luckily, they translated it, the sons of thunder, right? Which I've always wondered why. I'm hoping it's because their preaching skills are really good, Right? Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, uh, who betrayed him. Like, these are the 12, right? He pulled from this group, a, a, a smaller group, a deeper group that said, hey, come, come with me, right? And the importance of these 12 being appointed, we'll, we'll, we'll see how this pans out later in the book, and so I won't spend time here, but but what's important is to see that these 12 say, yes, yes, Jesus, I will come with you. And they preach and they cast out demons. But what I want us to see as we go through this next couple of chunks of scripture is what happens when they say yes. Because there's some application here for us. When we hear Jesus say, come with me a little deeper, I've got something I want you to, to engage with me with. I, I've got something that I want you to do where, where, where you will need me to do this. There are some common challenges to this that I think we experience. You see, being with Jesus is a relationship full of hurdles. Right? Right? Like, anybody else or is it just me? Like, like, being with Jesus is a relationship full of hurdles, right? There are challenges. There are these competing voices in our head and competing voices in our life that, that say things that we're going to see here. But Mark is also going to give us some solutions to those. All right, look at verse 20. Verse 20 says, Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, which is what they do, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. Now this word seize is better captured in the NIV because it says they went to take control of him. Right? That's what the, that's what the, the word in, in, in Greek means. It means to take control. Anybody ever have family members try and control you? Right? No fingers, no elbows. Right? This is what Jesus' family is doing. Right? When Jesus tells these 12 to come with me, there'll always be others that say, no, 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 come with us instead. Because that's what they're doing. It's Jesus' family shows up. And they look at Jesus and they say, you need to come with us. Right? And they're telling the disciples, you know, you need to come with us. You need to leave this crowd and come with us. And, and, and there's this temptation that's always this temptation of distraction. And it says this. It says, be with me, not with Jesus. Be with us, not with Jesus. And if you don't believe me, how about this stat? On average, 
We pick up our phones 344 times a day. All right? Or how about this one? ABC News quoted a study that showed teens, teenagers are on their phones seven hours and 22 minutes a day. Right? And that's not just teenagers. That's just who the study did. We're all on our phones a lot, aren't we? See, we all have something or someone in our life that says, be with me, not with Jesus. Ever get online to do something real quick, like Facebook, Instagram, you want to wish somebody a happy birthday, or there's that recipe that you saw and you want to, you want to find it, and next thing you know, an hour's passed, and you've seen the new puppies, right? You've seen the birthdays, you've seen the graduations, you're all caught up, and you realize, I've wasted an hour. What's the solution? Well, we're going to see in just a bit. Because what Mark is going to do is he talks about the family, then he's going to go into another hurdle, and then he's going to give the solution to the second hurdle, and then give the solution to, to what the family says. Because look at verse 22. So, so Mark jumps from the family to this. He says, And the scribes who came down for, from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebub, and by the prince of demons he casts out demons. And so there's this other challenge. Not only do you have the family saying, Come with us, right? Not with him. Instead, you have something very specific that these uh, Pharisees and, and these religious leaders are saying. They're saying, don't be with Jesus, right? It's not necessarily come with us. It's just whatever you do, don't go with him. Because they're saying that guy is demon-possessed. And this may sound crazy that somebody would say that about somebody doing so much good, but I think I've shared this story before. When, when we would do mission work and in Russia, we would go there and we'd share the gospel and, and we would help the poor and we'd do all this stuff. And, and the church leaders uh, of the churches we were working with would report that there were people from the religious, uh, the national religion at that time, the Russian Orthodox Church, that they were monitoring our moves and they would go to every house we went to after we left and tell people not to follow whatever it was that we told them because those people kill their babies. And they'd even tell them they eat their babies. Right? Because what they wanted to do is to say, you don't have to follow us, but don't go with him. That's what the scribes and the Pharisees were doing. They were telling people that Jesus was possessed by demons. Now keep in mind, we've already seen the demons obey Jesus. At the sound of his voice, they run and hide. Right? And these scribes represent what those voices say that you can follow anybody, you can follow anything you want, just don't follow Jesus. You don't have to come with me, just don't go with him. Well, look at what Jesus has to say about this idea of being demon-possessed. Verse 23 says, And he called to them and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. And so Jesus is making a point. If you say that I am controlled by demons and I cast out demons, that means there is a civil war in the demonic world. And somebody's fighting for leadership there. And whenever you see a civil war, you know that things are falling apart. 
And Jesus saying, if you say that I have cast out, that I am demon possessed because I cast out demons, what you're saying is that the demon world is falling apart right before our eyes. And Jesus is going to tell them this isn't a civil war, but it is a war with a different weapon than you might think, but it is a war. Look at what he says in verse 27. He says, but no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and then indeed he can plunder the house. And Jesus is saying he is the he, and he is binding the strong man, which is Satan, so that his house can be plundered, which is the disciples going out to cast out demons. That's what Jesus is doing. That's the mission that he's on. He is binding the strong man so that his house can be plundered. So see, this isn't a civil war. It is a war. But it's a different kind of war because look at what he has. In verse 28, he says, Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven. The sin, the, the, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man. Right? All sins. And so this war that Jesus is waging, it's a war not fought with weapons, it's a war fought with forgiveness, right? It's a new kingdom, it's a different kingdom, it's a, it's a different structure that Jesus is leading, it's a different war. Do you know what forgiveness means? In the Greek, forgiveness means to go away and to do away with, Right? That that thing that, that holds you and that thing that binds you, that sin that so easily entangles you, that forgiveness is the way that that sin is done away with. The sin uh, is, is, is let go of. You see, Jesus says, come to me and I will do away with the power and penalty of sin in your life. That there's a brand new kingdom. Come with me and the things that weigh you down will be lifted. Come with me, right? Jesus says, and I will bind what has broken you. Come with me, and the cage that you're locked in will be unlocked. I was counseling a guy, this was years ago, back in, in Texas, and he was struggling with some very specific sexual sins in his life, and and honestly, instead of talking about accountability, instead of talking about, you know, getting stuff on his computer, instead of talking about reorienting his friends, we talked about forgiveness. Because I kind of sensed he had been down that path before of accountability and changing everything and doing all the behavior, but something was not clicking. And I said, well, let's talk about forgiveness for a minute. And he goes, what do you mean? What do you mean forgiveness? He's like, I'm, I sin all the time. And I said, you know, forgiveness is like this, imagine yourself in a cage, right? And, and you're in this cage, and this cage is all these habits and sins and all this stuff that's in your life, and it's keeping you locked up. What forgiveness does is it opens the door to the cage. And you can come out and enjoy freedom because it's been provided. And I just left it there with him. Now, this guy was an artist, and, and he came back the next week, and he had painted a picture. And he had painted this picture of this cage with this bird in it, and the door was unlocked and opened. And I asked him, I said, why is the bird still in the cage? 
And he said, because forgiveness is really scary. He said, I've, I've really learned that I'm more comfortable struggling with sin than I am living in forgiveness. And I was like, man, what a great revelation. What are you going to do about it? He said, I might try and step out and enjoy forgiveness, but I'm probably going to get back in the cage. I said, that's okay. I said, is anybody going to lock it behind you? And he said, no, it's always open. God, that's a new kind of kingdom. A new kind of kingdom where you are healed, where you are set free, where the cage is always open for you to live in freedom. You see, Jesus unlocks the cages. He, he unbinds the things that hold us in. He heals the broken. As a matter of fact, no matter how bad you're, you think your things are, look at, look at what happens next. In verse 28, it says this. It says, truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of men and whatever blasphemies they utter. All right? Keep that in mind because look at verse 29. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of eternal sin, for they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Now, this verse, people have spilt so much ink about this verse, right? And people have worried and, and, and had so much anxiety and been so caged up over this verse. Like, have I committed the sin that Jesus talked about you can't be forgiven for? Problem is, and I don't want you to ask, raise your hand, but have you ever thought that, right? Trust me, if you've ever thought that, that's not you. Just be free of that right now. Because what happens is we get, we get stuck, right, on, on, on verse 29, and we forget what Jesus has just said in verse 28. All sins will be forgiven, right? And whatever blasphemies they utter. But here's the deal. They're forgiven being with Jesus. Because what it says is it says that they were saying, and, and, and it means that they continued to say, they didn't change, they didn't repent, they continued to say he has an unclean spirit. Right? They don't get to receive Jesus' forgiveness because they don't want it. That's the deal with Jesus. When he invites you to come with me, you can say no thanks. But if you say yes, the cage is unlocked. You see, I believe that this sin in verse 29 is for those who continue to say Jesus was demonic. They continue to not want the forgiveness offered in Jesus. Now, forgiveness could have been theirs. If, if, if they would have said, you know what, Jesus, you are not possessed by a demon. I don't know what you are but I'm going to go with you and find out. Forgiveness would have been theirs. But they said no. You see, Jesus says all sins will be forgiven. And if it's true for them, how much more is it true for you and me? All of our sins will be forgiven. No matter what cage keeps you bound, Jesus will unlock it for you. You see, the solution to those in that voice that says, don't go with him, is this invitation to a different kingdom, 
this invitation to a different kind of mission. And it's this, that with Jesus there is forgiveness, complete forgiveness. Forgiveness that we all need, like mercy from heaven when we can't find mercy on earth. It's, 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 it's forgiveness given to us when we have wronged our parents. It's forgiveness given to us when we've done something in private that is a sin, when we've done something public that is a sin. It is forgiveness to us, and it is the forgiveness that we get to give to others when they wrong and sin against us. Y'all, that is waging a different kind of war, Right? Forgiveness is our different kind of war and a different kind of kingdom. That's part of our mission. But we have one more different to embrace. Remember Jesus' family? Right? Mark's going to come back to him. Look at verse 31. We're almost done. Verse 31 says this. And, and his mother and brothers came, standing outside. They sent to him and called him. And the crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And, you, and he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. So what Jesus does, he has this moment where his his family, his mother and brothers and sisters are outside. And the people that are following him are right here. Now, now sometimes this, this... First of all, sometimes this is shocking to people if you grew up like in a Catholic church that Jesus had brothers and sisters. He did. I mean, half brothers and sisters, right? He was the only one fathered by God. Um, They weren't. But he did. He was part of a family. Imagine having Jesus as your big brother, right? Anybody ever struggle with the first child being the perfect one? Imagine if the first child was the perfect one, right? Like, that'd be, that'd be tough going, but, but I'm sure he's also kind and compassionate and all those things, even somewhat during the teenage years. Like, like I get that. But Mary, we know she pondered these truths when Jesus was born. We see her, at, we see her throughout Jesus' ministry as following him. So this is a moment where the family is just hearing Jesus, and I think they're just like, we don't, we don't understand, so come with us, right? But Jesus is offering them something different right? Remember, their challenge was, come with me, come with us, not with Jesus. Well, Jesus' solution is a different kind of family, that with Jesus, there is family, right? And family, with, with Jesus, we're not family that we can see on family trees. We're not Jesus. We're not family that we can see on Ancestry.com. Instead, we are a family that's centered on Jesus. Now, can you imagine what a comfort this was to those who don't have family, right? The mortality rate in ancient Israel was so high for children, and, you know, the lifespan was so short. It wasn't uncommon for for there to be orphans running around, for there to be widows. We see this in the New Testament. Like, like there's, there's always people in the church and following Jesus that don't have family. And can you imagine hearing Jesus say, y'all, look around. We're not like family. We are family. We are brothers and sisters. And so, so some people say, like, Jesus is shunning his brothers and sisters. I think, I think what he's doing is he's actually inviting them into a different kind of family. 
Because he's saying that with me, there is, there is family. Right? And so what, this is what Jesus does to those who challenge him that say, hey, come with us, don't go with him, is he invites them into something different. He invites us into something better, and he does the same for you and me, that when we're distracted to look away from Jesus, when we're distracted to go with someone or, or something else, Jesus' invitation is still echoing from, the, from these pages, and Jesus says this, will you come with me? Will you come be part of this family and come deeper into this family? Will you say yes to being with Jesus today? And for some of you, that would be the response, right? It's to, it's to step into this family of Jesus for the first time and to say, yes, Jesus, I will come with you. Not knowing what that means, not knowing where we'll go, but I will come with you. And that's called salvation, right? It's, it's letting Jesus be the Savior of your life, the Lord of your life, to take away the power and penalty of your sin. And that's what Jesus does. And for some of you, that's the yes you need to give today to his offer of forgiveness. But for some of us, our yes looks different. Maybe... It's the day that we respond to what Jesus has been whispering to you for a while, right? And you kind of keep pushing it back. That Jesus is asking you to be on mission with him. And he is kind and he is compassionate and he is, is patient because he has authority and he is everywhere, every when, right? And he can wait, but you've heard him. You've heard him say, come deeper with me. And maybe today is the day to say yes to that. And let me tell you, it'll, it'll look different, right? For everybody in this room, it'll look different. For some of you, it'll be picking up something new. For some of you, it'll be letting go of something familiar. But for all of us, it'll be a little bit scary, whether big or whether small. You see, what is Jesus asking you to say yes to, to go deeper with him. Right? Maybe today is the day you say yes to being with Jesus on that mission. And the task that he's inviting you to be with him and to do together. Maybe, maybe it's something as simple as talking to that neighbor, right? Who sees you leave and go to church every Sunday. Maybe it's something asking them something simple when you're taking out the trash at the same time or when you see them in the yard, maybe it's a simple, hey, how are you? Maybe it's asking them eventually like, hey, I, how can I be praying for you? I love praying for my neighbors. I love getting to know my neighbors. Is there anything specifically I can be praying for you? And just inviting that spiritual conversation. I had one guy uh, tell me that, that the way he came to Christ was that somebody came up to him and said, hey, I'm a Jesus follower, and so one day I'm going to talk to you about Jesus. I just need you to let me know when that day is. So whenever you're ready, let me know. And I was like, oh, that's brilliant. Leave it on their shoulders, right? Like, like that's great. And so then they could have this relationship with him, kind of getting the obvious stuff out of the way. And eventually that guy came to him and said, I'm ready to hear, right? And if I remember correctly, that guy is David Platt. I said, I'm ready to hear if you know him. It's either him or Todd Wagner. In my head, both of them are very similar, but 
But I think it was David Platt. Right? You see, is there anything I can be praying for you opens up this great conversation? As you go with Jesus into the conversation, and continue inviting Jesus into that conversation. So here's, here's the question that we end with today, is where is Jesus inviting you to be on mission with him? That's our question that we end with. What task, what work is he inviting you to do with him? Is it big? Is it small? It's okay. Like, we don't have to start ministries today, people. Like, we can literally walk across the street. All right? Either way, will you go with Jesus? Today, I want to end with a prayer. Uh, from St. Gertrude the Great. Isn't that a great name? St. Gertie the Great, right? Um, She was a nun. Uh, She was a German nun in the uh, late 200s, early 1300s. And here's what was unique about about St. Gertrude, um, is that she was known as being this incredible theologian. She was known as being a passionate follower of Jesus a passionate person of prayer, a passionate person of ministry. And, and uh, this prayer that I'm about to read was, is, is attributed to her. And I kind of want us to, to listen to this prayer and, and pray it together, knowing that this is a prayer that has been prayed for 700 years now in churches all around the world. And so if you would, bow your heads with me, and we'll close with this prayer. Lord, In union with your love, unite my work with your great work and perfect it. As a drop of water poured into a river is taken up into the activity of the river, so may my labor become part of your work. And so may those among whom I live and work be drawn into your love. In Christ's name we pray, amen.